Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right. Hey, um, my name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. And our scripture from this morning comes from Psalm 107, verses 1 through 9. And so in verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless. Hungry and thirsty, they nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety into a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. This is the word of the Lord. Good God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this room, and thank you for these people, and for some time together. Um, I pray that you... I pray this a lot. Uh, We believe that you're near, but um, sometimes I just... Pray that you feel near, and I just pray that this morning that uh, we would feel your spirit, that we would feel your spirit at work in us and around us, um, and that as we feel you, you would uh, restore long devastated things inside us. We thank you that um, you're with us and you're for us, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, so this is uh, our last uh, sermon in a series of sermons that we've been in this summer uh, where we've been talking about how um, moves of God come from places of extraordinary prayer. And uh, this has been a lot of fun for me, a lot of fun for Chad. I hope you all have had a lot of fun uh, this summer, spending the summer talking about uh, uh, ways, different ways to pray. Um, and one of the fun parts of it has been to be able to hear your stories. Every week we've kind of offered a practice, and, um, and every week we've heard stories of you guys for how those things played out, from um, what it looked like when you fasted from self-doubt, that was some story, to what, uh, how a breath prayer feels on the side of an ocean, um, to uh, how you checked in on the person that you prayed for using the Vineyard Prayer Model, or, or all kinds of things. And so it's been really fun to hear your stories. Um, and while I'm sad to uh, wrap things up, I decided that the way to do that would be uh, to re-preach a sermon I've already done in this series. Uh, not really, but we are going to revisit something that we've kind of, are, I thought that was funnier than you thought it was. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh man, is it the long one? It is. It is the long one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, 
We've talked a lot this summer about how to talk to God in prayer on behalf of ourselves and and for the sake of others. Uh, But I want to revisit something we talked about super early on, and that is how uh, learning how to actually hear from God. Uh, We believe prayer is a two-way street. We talk to him. He talks to us. Uh, And so I want to talk about that. But even more specific than hearing from God, uh, I really want to talk about not just hearing but learning how to really listen. I think hearing and listening are different. So really listen listening to the voice of God in our lives as we pray. So uh, listening has been a really interesting topic uh, for me, particularly this week. I uh, came home from the beach. I missed you guys last week, but only a little because I was at the beach. Um, uh, But uh, I came home from the beach with an ear infection, which is delightful. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, It was like swimmer's ear, and it was kind of uncomfortable, and then it like I don't know, Monday night, Tuesday, I don't even know what days of the week are anymore. One night, it got really bad, like just became this super, super gnarly ear infection. Like it was crazy. My face uh, swelled up so much that the face ID on my phone stopped working. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, my jaw locked, like I couldn't, I couldn't close my mouth. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, you should pray for the people at East Tennessee Medical Group. They cannot unsee what they saw <laughs> in me, on me. Uh, it was awful. So also I turned 40 a few days ago. And so it was, a, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. I know you're shocked. Um, I turned 40 and it was a real kick in the pants to start the first few days of my 40s with hearing loss and having to eat mashed up soft foods. Like, you know, they say 40 is the new 30, but for me, 40 was the new 100. So it's going great. This, this, you guys lied. You actually, no, you did it. I said, is 40 bad? And you all sat silently and stared at me and it, you were right. It's really painful. But, um, even before last week, <laughs> before I've lost, and so I really, if, if I didn't hear you this morning, I legitimately did. I can't hear all the right side of my face. Um, but uh, before, even before last week, the science behind listening is something that I think is really interesting. I think my parents probably wish that I'd become more interested in listening when living under their house. Um, but uh, this job has required me to do a lot of work on listening. Like, I mean, I speak for a living, but in order to speak, you have to do a lot more listening than I knew was coming. Um, I, I, I do tons of listening, listening to you, to my staff, to my bosses, to culture, to health professionals, far more in the last few years than I ever imagined I would have to in this line of work. Um, I, I try to listen to people inside the church and outside the church and experts and theologians and people I agree with, and people I disagree with, and most of all, uh, learning to listen to the Spirit of God. And so listening has become, I don't know, something I'm, I'm curious about and excited about. And, uh, there, there was a scientist a few years ago on Radiolab, actually like a lot of years ago on Radiolab, a guy named Seth Horowitz, uh, who literally wrote the book on listening. Uh, he's an auditory neuroscientist, and if you know me and you've been here for a while, um, I, I have this crazy fascination with neuroscientists, and I barely even know what that is. So, um, but basically what it is, is he studies the way your brain intakes sound. That is his job. And I've read a couple of articles by this guy. He's funny, and scientists aren't always funny, and so I like him. Anyway, um, one of the things that he says pretty frequently when he writes is that our ears are our most honest sense. Like of the five senses, he says that our ears are the most honest one, that it's actually something that makes our ears distinct or hearing distinct as a sense um, because it's such an honest way of receiving information. 
Like our eyes, they can lie to us. Do you remember a few years ago? Honestly, it could be 10 years ago. I can't remember anymore. I'm 40 now. Um, but do you remember that blue dress, gold dress picture that kind of went around? Do you remember that? And like, how, how many of you saw a blue dress? Do you remember? Okay, how many of you saw a gold dress? Do you remember? It was so weird. I, what color was it? Well, whatever you saw, that's what, color, that's what color it was. It was this crazy optical illusion through this dress where however many people saw blue and however many people saw gold uh, and, and our eyes lied to us. Uh, but there are no natural auditory illusions or natural auditory paradox. Nothing that occurs naturally uh, that affects our hearing in the same way. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Horowitz says keeps our ears so honest is the speed at which they take in and transport, take in information and then transport information to our brains. Um, over the last uh, lots of years, our brains have evolved to process sounds five times more quickly uh, than processing uh, uh, sight things. Like our, our auditory processes are five times faster than our visual uh, processes, uh, which is kind of an incredible thing. This, this uh, part of evolution happened in order to keep us safe. Uh, it, 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 and so what has happened in our ears is this freakish power uh, to uh, this the very accurate ability for our brains to fine-tune our listening to be able to hear any danger or any threat or any process as a dangerous thing before we could even see that it's coming. We could hear that it's coming before we could see that it's coming, which is kind of incredible. Uh, but not just that. Uh, part of this evolving process has also included a filtering system that allows our brains uh, to alert us to danger or harm while at the same time filtering out loads of non-essential sounds in order to protect us from sensory overload. Um, I have a theory about all of this that has no scientific backing and is only my own hypothesis and research that I'm sure you're excited about. Um, but I think that this ability to filter out unwanted sound seems especially strong for those of us in the room that have higher levels of ADD. Are you with me? No, because you have ADD, so you checked out. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I can make that joke because I'm one of you. Um, but seriously, I, I don't want to brag uh, about this, but I am uh, very evolved in my ability to filter out unwanted sound. Uh, I consider uh, one of my brain's greatest strengths to be, um, uh, sorry, what I consider one of my brain's greatest strengths is what my husband considers the most annoying thing about me. Um, and that is that in a car full of children and husband, all non-essential sounds are silence to me. It's, it, it, it's amazing. Um, I, 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 it allows me and me alone in the car to hear whatever song I want to whatever podcast I want, whatever I want to think about, I alone in that car can single in on whatever happens to interest me in that moment. And anything else that's going on, if I don't want to hear it, I just don't. And Daniel just does. <laughs> and that causes a bit of tension. And I honestly, I don't know how to teach you to do this. I wish I could. It, it is a superpower. I wish ADD was a contagious as COVID. Not really. That's, I don't think we make that joke. Um, 
I digress. Okay, back to real, actual science. In an article uh, in the New York Times, Dr. Horowitz, uh, the actual scientist, uh, he talks about the key differences between hearing and listening. And he says this, the difference between the sense of hearing and the skill of listening is attention, which feels pointed uh, at me. But he goes on. He says, hearing in short is easy. You and every other vertebrate that hasn't suffered some sort of genetic, developmental, or environmental accident have been doing it for hundreds of millions of years. It is your lifeline, your alarm system, your way to escape danger and how we pass on, and to help pass on your genes. But listening, he says, really listening is hard. When potential distractions are leaping into your ears every 50,000th of a second. He's saying that hearing is so natural. It's automatic. It's, it's what we do without thinking or, or focus. But listening, really, really listening, it takes some skill. It takes some focus. It takes some action. Listening requires something of us in a sea of distractions. And while I absolutely relate to this on, on, a, on a physical level, I also really relate to this on a spiritual level. Uh, because while I believe that learning how to, to, to listen for the voice of God is one of the, the most precious and freeing and life-giving parts of following Jesus, it's also kind of hard, right? It, it's kind of hard. Uh, Frederick Beekner, who I adore, he talks about how God is always speaking to us. He's speaking to us in intensely personal ways through what he calls the humdrum and the helter-skelter of our everyday life. And I believe that. I think God is always speaking to us. And sometimes God's voice is really, really clear. It comes uh, like when he talks in, 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 in visions and dreams and words of knowledge and sermons and sunsets and the birth of babies and when Brad Hitch sings before the throne of God above. And it's really clear. And then sometimes uh, listening to God is really confusing like when he speaks through visions and dreams and words of knowledge and sermons. And when I sit next to you while Brad sings before the throne of God above me, like, I don't think that's Jesus. <laughs> the Bible describes God's people hearing his voice in loads of different ways. For Moses, uh, it was a sound that came from within a cloud at one point. But then there's another point that the Bible says that he hears from God face to face as a man hears from his friend. Uh, for Elijah, it was a, a still, small voice that came in a cave. Another translation calls it a, a gentle whisper. Uh, in the Psalms, God's voice comes in loads of ways. It's a, a big sound loud enough to break a tree or to shake the earth. One time, uh, his voice is described as something that comes in the wind. Another time, it comes on top of the waves. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel, he describes the sound of God's voice like something behind the flapping of wings that sounds like water. Descriptive and also not at all at the same time. Uh, for Zephaniah, it's quiet and joyful singing. At, at Jesus' baptism, there's this loud, audible voice of God that comes from the cloud that says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then uh, later, when Jesus and Peter and uh, James and John, they're up on the mountain, they describe that, that same voice, but they say it came from behind the cloud, saying, Again, this is my beloved Son, but this time he says, Listen to him. Uh, for Paul, the voice of God follows a blaze of light. 
For Peter and John, it comes in dreams. For Barnabas, through praying and fasting. And when uh, the other, uh, his other Jesus followers that were his friends laid their hands on him, he could hear God's voice. I keep going. God's voice is literally covering the scriptures. That's what it is. Through prophets and priests and poets and just regular everyday people. The voice of God is everywhere. All through the scriptures. And when God spoke, uh, people listened in as many different ways as his voice seemed to come. Sometimes people hear him and they're afraid when they hear him. And sometimes they hear him and they're overjoyed. They're comforted. They're sometimes convicted. They're called. They're encouraged. Sometimes uh, they hear him and they follow. Sometimes they hear him and they run to, away from Nineveh and get swallowed by a whale. Oftentimes they, they realize it's God speaking to them, but there are also examples where they don't realize it was God's voice till later on. N.T. Wright calls God's voice uh, the echo of a voice within us. I love that. The echo of a voice within us. The rabbis have an even better description, I think. Uh, they call God's voice the bot kol, and that means it's the voice of thinnest silence. God's voice seems to be like audible and also a rattling, and also a stirring, and a drawing toward himself. It is incredibly mysterious. God's voice is somehow both sound and silence at the same time. I say all that to say this, that the voice of God throughout the scriptures and throughout history happens in loads of ways to loads of people. And the only common thing that I can find in all of the stories is this, God speaks to his people. He speaks to his people. Not he spoke to his people. He speaks to his people. It is still true today. God is still speaking to his people. Here's how I know this. I know this, that God still speaks to his people because there is not a chance on God's green earth that I would have ever, ever become a pastor unless God didn't speak to people. If you know me, you know this is true. I use way too many bowling words to have ever been considered for the job. Use, not used. <laughs> if God didn't speak, I'm not doing this. Do you all think Chad is weird enough to walk up to a person and say, can I pray for your knee? He's weird, but he's not that weird. Chad prays for people because God told him to. God told him to risk and to try and to pray for people's knees, specifically knees. And some of you are really glad for that because he practiced on you and it worked. I know that God still speaks for people because there's no way that Tracy would have come to this church of, uh, well, today, all white people, and uh, without God's Spirit inviting her to help lead us into something that looks more like the kingdom of heaven. And I could bounce around this room and I could tell a million, or I don't know, a million, but a whole bunch of stories. But those are your stories to tell. And I only asked Tracy's permission. <laughs> but I say this to say God speaks to his people. He did then and he does now. And he didn't just speak to the preachers and he didn't just speak to the priests and he didn't just speak to the, speak to the poets and the popes. He spoke to people. And listening to God speaking is part of what praying is. So, how do we become people who, who don't just hear the voice of God, but do the work of learning how to listen for the voice of God? Uh, actually, before I answer that question, I want to ask another question. A question, then we'll come back to that one. Here's my other question. 
why does it matter? Why does it matter that we become people who learn how to listen to God? Um, I think that is a really, really important question. I always think why is an important question, but especially on this one, why it matters is a really important question. And I think that's been an important question uh, my entire life, but I'm not sure in my lifetime that has ever been such an important question as it is now in this time today. I want to read that quote from Seth Horowitz about hearing and listening again. He says, hearing, in short, is easy. You and every other vertebrate that hasn't suffered some sort of accident has been doing it for hundreds of millions of years. But listening, really listening is hard when potential distractions are leaping into your ears every 50,000th of a second. Why does it matter that we learn how to listen to Jesus Because distractions are leaping into your ears every 50,000th of a second. And it's showing. Honestly, look at the church. To say that the church in America is distracted is, I think, generous and kind. I think the church is forgetting how to listen. uh, There are horrible and harmful things being said in the name of Jesus all over this country every single day. The American church has found itself at the mercy of very loud politicians and celebrities while missing the voice of thinnest silence in a sea of loud, and a sea of confidence, and a sea of hysterical. Just because someone says the name Jesus does not mean it is the voice of Jesus. God, I wish it was just the American church. But it's us too, right? It's me. It's me. I find myself listening to whatever voice is loudest or the most convinced or the most impassioned. I am like, my ears are sold out to the voice, uh, the urgencies of, uh, the tyrannies of urgencies, of empathies, of, of fear. I want to listen to words that tickle my ears and stir my sensibilities and make big, huge promises of change while still at the same time requiring almost nothing of me. I love those. I find that I listen when it's loud, and I listen when it's quick, and oh, God, I love to listen when it agrees with me. But just because someone says Jesus does not make it the voice of Jesus. In a sea of distraction, the voice that is somehow both sound and silence gets very lost and very distant and very hard to find. Learning how to listen to Jesus matters, but learning how to listen to Jesus right now really matters. So how do we do it? I'll be really honest. This would be a really great time for me to give you a very snazzy formula, and I really wanted to give a good one for you, but there there just isn't one. There is no X plus Y equals Z when it comes to listening uh, to the voice of God. I talked a few minutes ago about the bunch of ways that God's people hear his voice or, or listen to him in, in the Bible, and they were all different. Listening will always have an element of mystery to it because listening to God, truly hearing him and listening, it requires faith. And faith and mystery kind of go hand in hand. So I don't have a formula Uh, But I do have two helpful tricks and a practice if you're up for those. Uh, I mean, I'm going to do them either way, so I hope you're up for them. Here's the first tip. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Here's the first tip. 
really brilliant. If you want to listen to God, learn what his voice sounds like. But I mean, it sounds simple. It isn't. Uh, As I said before, the scriptures are full of God's voice. It comes from many places and, and many people. But clearest of all, we find God's voice in the mouth of Jesus, who is God's perfect voice, his perfect theology. And so the scriptures become a fertile place to learn what the voice of God is and what the voice of God isn't. Uh, Dallas Willard helps with this. Uh, He's brilliant. He wrote an amazing book called Hearing God. If this is interesting to you, I I can't recommend that book um, anymore. I do wish it said listening to God now that we read that quote, but I'm not going to, he's dead and I'm not going to complain about the title, but hearing God. It's so good. This is what he says. He says, God's voice is a spirit of exalted peacefulness and confidence, a spirit of joy, a spirit of reasonableness, of goodwill. It is in short, the spirit of Jesus. Those who have seen Jesus have truly seen the Father who shared the same spirit. It is this spirit that marks the voice of God in our hearts. Any word that bears an opposite spirit most surely is not the voice of God. And because his voice bears authority within itself, it does not need to be loud or hysterical. What does the voice of God sound like? It sounds like peace and confidence, and joy, humility, and hope. It sounds like restoration, and renewal, and rescue, and reconciliation. It's joyful song. It's corrective rebuke. It's the call of the wild. It sounds like new creation, and it sounds like resurrection, and it sounds like Jesus. God's voice is not moody. It is not capricious. It isn't loud. It isn't hysterical. It isn't Republican, it isn't Democrat, it isn't Independent or Green Party or Libertarian or Anxious Bystander. That's the, uh, that's the political party given to me in an online quiz that Campbell gave me last week. <laughs> I don't know, if I left one out, imagine it in your head, whatever you are. It isn't that. <laughs> it has no political party. The voice of God has no ulterior motive. The voice of God isn't condescending, critical, or full of shame. It doesn't just say the name Jesus. It sounds like the scriptures and it sounds like him. So how do we learn what this voice sounds like? It is so simple and so hard. We read the Bible and we get to know Jesus. <laughs> simple and not. We read the Bible and we get to know Jesus. Fun fact and spoiler, uh, we, we wiped our fall sermon plans and we're just going to talk about Jesus for a few weeks. So You can also come here. We'll talk about him. And we'll try to be really faithful to his voice. But you should use your discretion with us too. Tip number two. So first one, learn the voice of, to learn the voice of God, get to know Jesus. Tip number two, practice listening. Practice listening to him. The expert of listening, Seth Horowitz, calls listening, and again, I'm quoting him here, hard. (laughs) He calls it hard. And the way that we learn to do hard things is we practice them. We try them over and over and over again. We learn by trying. We learn by practicing. There have been times in my life where I was 100% sure that I heard God's voice, and I did, and I knew it. And there have been times in my life when I was 100% just as sure that I heard God's voice, and I didn't, and it was not at all. I was just hungry or angry or wrong. I don't know. The only way to learn how to hear God's voice in our lives is to practice, to practice listening. 
Uh, we've given you a lot of different practices this summer. We even printed them on really pretty cards for you and everything. Um, not because we wanted to give you a stack of ways to like perform for Jesus so that he would be happy with you. Um, we did this because we don't want to be a church that just talks about how you should do stuff but then never actually like does the stuff that we talk about. And so we just wanted to actually try it. And so we offered uh, these prayer practices. And we've done them, I think, over the last six weeks. I think there's six of them. And, um, and, and so we've just talked about how to do these and, and, and in a way that we hope uh, will set you up to enjoy or uh, different, uh, and, uh, like you enjoy the practice. Or maybe you've done a few and you're like, oh, that made me really uncomfortable. I think there's things to learn when we like something, when we don't like something, when it works for us, when it doesn't work for us. Because there's growth and learning and experience these things. Uh, for example, some of you loved, a few weeks ago, we did imaginative prayer, and some of you loved it, and some of you hated it. One person legitimately looked at me and shook their head. <laughs> it was awesome, and that's okay. Some of you, you tried the five-step prayer model, and, and, and you were shocked when your hand got hot and as you prayed for someone, and then they got healed, and some of you heard Chad do that sermon, and you thought, I've got to find another church. They're crazy, uh, some of you, you took your cards home every single week and you practiced. And some of you drew cartoons on the back and I know who you are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and all of this is okay. It is all fine. This is not a formula. Our hope is not to offer you a formula. You do not have to practice these exact things in order to experience intimacy with Jesus and to join him in the work of the kingdom. But you do have to practice something. You have to practice something. As your pastors, we can give you resources, but we cannot build intimacy. That, that's our own individual work. Intimacy and faith and freedom, those things, they only come when you try, when you risk, when you practice. So I have one final practice for us today. Uh, um, and and this, so this is our last card. It should be in your seat. And um, if this is your first week of this series or you bounced in and out, th that's really how we planned it. We knew it's summer. I mean, you know. We love seeing you when we see you. So, uh, but all of the cards are on the info table on the way back. So if you miss one, feel free to grab if, if you want. They're, they're all back there. Um, but, uh, uh, and then all of the sermons are on our podcast. You can get podcasts, our podcast, wherever you get podcasted. And they kind of go and we'll explain the practices and stuff. So, yeah, but here's the last one. Um, it's called the examine. Uh, if you've been around Springbrook for a while, you know this is a pretty regular practice for us. It's something we do a couple times a year. Uh, anyway, uh, this like imaginative prayer comes to us from St. Ignatius of Loyola, uh, who in so many ways is the father of modern uh, practices or modern uh, spiritual disciplines. And essentially the examine is a way to review your life or to examine your life. Uh, it's a way to become very present to life in a really intentional way. And I saved it for last because for me personally, it's my favorite. Um, in, my very, in my current very distracted season of life, the examine is honestly the place I'm able to listen to Jesus. Like I, I wish I was holier and could be like, I am hearing from Jesus in lots of places. Um, I am in some but I really do in the examine. So um, I love it uh, by looking back for me, by like looking back over just a really short amount of time, I find places where God was speaking to me or leading or shaping or redirecting or convicting or, or whatever. So um, again, 
save this for last week because it's my favorite. So uh, I just want to quickly walk through the card. I've already kind of done the, the description. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to quickly walk through it, and then we're going to walk through it all together. We're going to take a few minutes and, and let it be quiet, and we're going to practice this uh, together, create space for you to do this on your own, and I'll kind of lead and prompt you uh, through it. Uh, if you are a journaler, uh, not in this room, then uh, for me, like I, I like to journal examines, um, there should be a pen near you and that the, we left the card on the back blank on this one on purpose so that you can write this out if you want to, uh, but you know, it, 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 you don't have to. Um, a side note, if you are here and you are not a Jesus follower, uh, two things. One, uh, you are so welcome in this room. And I know people say that, but I really hope it's true about us. You are so welcome here. And the second thing is if this feels really scary that we're about to practice something together, uh, then know that everybody else in this room is scared too. There's something that happens in a church when a, a preacher asks for audience participation that everyone in the room is like, oh, God, no. Do I have to raise my hand? Am I have to stand up? And, and so just know uh, that's not what's about to happen. <laughs> um, we, as I said, I cannot create intimacy with you. Spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, they belong to you. And so this is just time for you. This is not time for all of us. This is time for you. So uh, this is just an invitation to try. And, and honestly, the exam is not just a practice that belongs only to Jesus people. Uh, we're going to do it that way. We're going to uh, really do it that way. But uh, there's loads of research about about the benefits of reviewing your day regardless of your faith background. So, um, so here's what we do. It's, it's, it's four steps, um, and this is a snazzy formula because uh, they all start with R, which I think is pretty impressive. I'll, I'll wait for your applause. Um, I didn't write it. It's fine. Okay, so uh, four steps. Uh, the first step is replay. Essentially, uh, some people call it review. Essentially, what you're going to do is you're going to go back. For me, um, it's, it does, it's not very helpful to go further than about 24 hours. Whereas on a Sunday, you could maybe do the weekend. If you had a really big or meaningful week, you, you might want to hit some points throughout the week. But um, when it, it gets too long for me to pay attention to if I go much past about a 24-hour window. So uh, a short period of time, you're going to kind of go back and review that in your mind, um, and I'll prompt you before we do all this. Uh, the second step uh, is, is rejoice. Ignatius's word for this is consolations. Um, essentially, uh, it's just you've gone through your day. It's, it's kind of picking out the moments of that 24-hour period of joy, moments of warmth, moments of the consolation, the things that, that felt good, the things that you can look at with a lot of gratitude. Uh, step three uh, is repent. Ignatius calls this desolations. Uh, so the opposite of consolations. We've gone through the day, so then we're going to kind of revisit. I usually try to skip this section. Um, <laughs> you're going to revisit those things that didn't feel as warm, the places where you maybe showed up in a way you didn't really want to show up, those sort of things. Those are the consolations. Uh, and so uh, where we looked at uh, or sorry, desolations. Where we look at consolations with uh, gratitude, we're going to look at desolations with repentance, uh, with honesty. And then the fourth one um, is re resolve. Uh, and, and this one, I don't know, it, it, when I do this in groups, this is the one that kind of makes people nervous because it's like, oh, no, now i got to do something with this, put an action item on it. But uh, in, in DBS, uh, which is Discovery Bible Study, it's what we do in our core groups, uh, this is called an I will statement, and that's really helped form this for me. Essentially what it is is it really is putting action around what we learn. It's, it's thinking that we might actually hear from Jesus, and he might stir something in us, and he might ask us to do something. It might be to... to uh, apologize to someone. It might be uh, 
you know, the calling on your life. I mean, it can be as big or as little as anything, and it might just be to show up tomorrow and try the same thing again. So, um, so the, the resolve is just it maybe if you can put into a sentence one thing. I'm going to walk out of this with one thing in my mind. So um, for me, when I do this, uh, it's really helpful. Like anything else, I've told you this. I like to start with a minute of silence, and I end with a minute of silence. I literally set a timer on my phone, and I hardly ever make it to a full minute without checking my phone to see how many seconds I've left to have to be quiet. So um, that's, those are good starting places for me. You may find things that work better for you.